A reading from Moon in a Dewdrop by Zen Master Dogen. People of presence say you should practice what is easy to practice. These words are quite mistaken. They're not at all in accord with the Buddha way. If this alone is what you regard as practice, then even lying down will become wearisome. If you find one thing wearisome, you will find everything wearisome. It is obvious that people who are fond of easy practice are not capable of the way. In fact, the Dharma spread and is now present in the world because our great teacher practiced with difficulty and pain for immeasurable eons and finally attained this Dharma. If the original source is like this, how could the later streams be easy? Students who would like to study the way must not wish for easy practice. If you seek easy practice, you will for certain never reach the ground of truth or dig down to the place of treasure. Even teachers of old had great capacity, who had great capacity, said that practice is difficult. You should know that the Buddha way is vast and profound. If the Buddha way were originally easy to practice, then teachers of great capacity from olden times would not have said that practice is difficult and understanding is difficult. Compared with the people of old, those of today do not amount to even one hair from nine cows. With their small capacity and shallow knowledge, even if people of today strive diligently and regard this as difficult and excellent practice, Still, it does not amount to even the easiest practice and easiest understanding of the teachers of old. Being old and decrepit does not exclude you. Being quite young or in your prime does not exclude you. Although a master first studied when he was over 60, he became a man of excellence in the ancestral lineage. The master's daughter had already studied long by the time she was 13, and she was outstanding in the monastery. The power of Buddha Dharma is revealed depending on whether or not there is effort, and it is distinguished depending on whether or not it is practiced. Thank you, Wendy. Well, it's good to know that decrepitude doesn't exclude us. For us oldies, I was very relieved to hear that. Um, and I'd just like to say that it's from this uh, book, the, the Moon in a Dewdrop, and Shelley has done this wonderful little moon here uh, representing that, which is a beautiful flower, Shelley. So thank you so much for that. Well, over the past uh, few weeks, we've been looking at the idea of service being the end point of spirituality. Service being the end point of spirituality. And that our purpose in our spiritual search is really to understand the nature of reality, to understand that nature of reality so that we might be appropriate to our service. We have to be able to develop the wisdom to know where we're to serve. We have to develop the wisdom to know where we're to serve, to see into the nature of reality in such a way as to realize what our contribution could be. So the question really is, how do you develop wisdom? How do you develop wisdom? A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that quote from uh, Jesus. Whoever comes to me, streams of living water will flow from within them. Whoever comes to me, streams of living water 
will flow from within them. And really, there is your source of wisdom. Your source of wisdom is those streams of living water within you. Yeah, the word wisdom comes from the old English, gewit, G-E-W-I-T, which denotes the mind or the seat of consciousness. That's what it originally meant. And it really suggests ultimate reality. The definition of wisdom that I like best is wisdom is knowledge informed by love. Knowledge informed by love. And somehow we, you know, we really have to reach for that wisdom individually and collectively just to get ourselves into the right place. As it said in that reading, that it's revealed when there is effort and it is distinguished when there is practice. It requires, you know, to get to that wisdom requires both effort and practice. And as I was saying last week, there is, has to be an intention, an intention to reach down into those streams of living water. It has to be the context of our lives and definitely the context of our practice. Our whole life has to be about that intention to reach that wisdom. Our vision being, our vision being that the wisdom is accessible. That's the vision. The vision is that that wisdom is accessible. And our mission is really to do whatever is necessary to reach it. That's the doingness. The mission is the doingness in life. And the vision is what we're aspiring to. And you know, I don't think it's a quick thing, finding that wisdom. It's not something, uh, you know, where I can say, well, do this and you will know. You have to find your own practice and you have to do it regularly even if you feel you're not getting anywhere. And most of the time we do feel that. We think, what am I doing this for? And then it comes. You know, I've said before, Zen master Robert Kennedy always says that it comes incredibly gradually and we can't see it like, like mountains forming. We can't see it, but it does come. You know, people often ask me, how do I come up with this stuff every week? You know, <laughs> how do I come up week after week with this stuff? And the truthful answer is really that I don't. It, it, it honestly just does seem to come. You know, when I was in advertising, you know, my job as an advertiser was a copywriter. I, I had to write copy for, you know, London Underground, British Airways. That was my job. You were told, you know, write this, this ad. And it was murder. It really was murder to come up with something original. And, you know, in the creative industries such as music and writing, substance abuse is absolutely rife. And we know about it, you know, rock stars and stuff like that. They're always, you know, dying from drugs. And do you know the reason why that is? It's not because they're, you know, prone to taking all that stuff. The reason is that people find it difficult to create. And so they drink or they take drugs to help them. And, you know, what happens is, you know, when you do write something great, you know, and you have taken drugs or, or drink to write it, the next time you're faced with having to create something amazing, you think, well, how did I do it last time? Well, I can't do it on my own. And that is the slippery slope. That's how it begins. 
you become dependent on whatever it is, the substance, you know, in order to create and to, and to move forward. You know, for the last 20 years, you know, I've been a minister and I've had to write, for the last 20 years, 2,000 words every week about, you know, to do something like this. And, you know, the amazing thing is it hasn't been a problem. I don't think, oh, my goodness, how am I going to come up with something? Next? Well, I do occasionally. You know, I'd say, you know, when it gets desperate, I do think, oh, how am I? But actually, you know, I don't dread it. I, I generally sit down in front of my computer and it comes out. And, you know, it's so much easier than writing for advertising. Well, some people say I am writing for advertising. But, but it is so much easier. And the reason that I think it's so much easier is that I'm prepared. You know, when I come to my, my keyboard, I've done the work already, actually. You know, I go into my practice every day, and that prepares me for the moment that I have to open my heart. It prepares me for that, and, and, and it enables me to let something out. Somehow, a bit of that living water comes out. But that's not to say it's easy. As it says in the reading, it involves you know, difficulty and pain. And it's not the writing that involves difficulty and pain. It's the practice. That is where the difficulty and pain is. All the work is actually done in the practice. And the more you're willing to open up to the difficulty and pain and bring that into the practice, the more the wisdom will come. Because it, it unlocks it. It's the difficulty and pain that unlocks it. And that involves all aspects of whatever practice we do. So long as we're committed to the difficulty in the practice, then wisdom will come. And do you know that wisdom can show up anywhere? It, it can show up in your dreams. It might just slip out as a thought. Sometimes I have a thought during meditation that, you know, that opens up for me. And interestingly enough, you know, I don't dwell on that thought during the meditation. I just watch it and let it go. But then, you know, I come back to the breath. But that, generally that thought will come back to me afterwards and I can then use that thought or use that direction. I think prayer is also a source of wisdom. Now, it may, it may be controversial, this, but for me, prayer is not talking to God. Prayer is not about talking to God. For me, prayer is about us hearing ourselves. We're really talking to ourselves in prayer, I think. We're talking to ourselves and aligning ourselves to what we want to see happen. You know, dear God, please bless little Johnny, is really, I want to remember little Johnny and do all that I can with my heart and soul to cooperate with little Johnny's healing. That's what I think is what's happening in prayer. And, you know, if you, it, it, the Lord's Prayer is a classic example of that. Yeah, the Lord's Prayer is not us telling God, you know, you're in heaven, by the way, God. You know, we're not giving him all this stuff. What we're reminding ourselves, you know, Father of us, we're reminding ourselves the one who is in the heavens. We're reminding ourselves, may I hallow your nature. May your kingdom come. We're reminding ourselves that that is the way. May your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. We're reminding ourselves of the nature of reality. 
And that's how we open ourselves up. That's why we're given that prayer, to open ourselves up to the nature of reality. And prayer is reminding ourselves of that true nature. And we're looking at developing our wisdom to respond to that nature in a more meaningful way. We're asking ourselves to open up. It's about really, you know, how you respond. That wisdom is about how you respond to your friends and family, how you deal with the circumstances of your life, how you deal with finding your way into service. You know, for me, writing's the easy bit. That's the easy bit. The more difficult bit is having my life conform to what I say up here. That's the difficult bit as I shout at my children. Well, my children shout at me, you know. That is the difficult bit because if if it's not that, then I'm just shooting the breeze up here. Do you have that expression? I'm just shooting the breeze, you know. I always say, you know, I'm just part of the entertainment industry. Spiritual stand-up, you know. (laughs) What's the point? Just coming up with stuff that sounds okay but has no reality. There's no point in that. You know, you're just creating what Richard Raw calls an idealized, fabricated reality that's a convenient way of looking at life because it makes us feel better until it doesn't. You know, religion can be an idealized, fabricated reality that makes us better about the way we see life until it doesn't. And that's not the idea at all. Our mission here is to live life more skillfully. And therefore, what we see and do here has to have a bearing on what goes on out there. You know, those streams of living water have to give us the wisdom in order to be able to navigate our way through our lives, through our family, through our children, through our friends, through our work, through our health, through our fitness, through our finances. It must relate to all of that. Otherwise, it's just a good idea. Evelyn Underhill Her definition of mysticism is the art of union with reality. Mysticism, she says, is the art of union with reality. And that's what we're talking about, really, with wisdom. But for me, the key word is art here. You know, art is defined as a skill as a result of learning or practice. Interesting, that. Art is is defined as a skill as a result of learning or practice you know, a work of art, a practical skill. And we are in the business here of accessing wisdom. And it's an art that involves our whole life. In fact, our life is that work of art, all of it. We should see our life as a work of art that we are continually manifesting in the pursuit of wisdom. That's it. A life is a work of art, continually manifesting in the pursuit of wisdom. I read something by uh, Daniel Christian Wilde, who's an environmentalist, and he talks about, talking about you know, developing wisdom, he talks that there are three ways of developing wisdom. First of all, mindfulness, which is connecting to the wisdom within, which is, you know, in a sense, what we've been talking about. The second way he suggests is counsel which is connecting to the wisdom of the group, counsel. And the third way he suggests of of developing wisdom is solo time out in the wild, connecting with the wisdom of nature. 
And I think that, you know, looking at it in those terms broadens our idea about wisdom. It's not just sitting on a mat all the time. You know, it almost has an aspect of mind, body, and spirit. The mind being the counsel, the body being out in the open, and the spirit being the heart nature connected through mindfulness. And, you know, we've been talking about that mindfulness because unless you can get beyond your mind and into your heart, then you're just trapped in the horizons of your mind. Unless you can get into your heart, you're trapped in the horizons that your mind, but go beyond your mind into your heart and you have completely new non-rational horizons that come from your heart. That lovely Sufi proverb, the secret of living a fulfilling life, the secret of living a fulfilling life is to be ready at any moment to give up what you are for what you could become. At any moment to give up what you are for what you could become. And that is going beyond your horizons of your mind into the horizons of your heart. And then there's counsel. In counsel, you know, we listen to the whole. We listen to each other. We listen to the place. We listen to earth. We listen to air, fire, water. We listen to the living planet. And I think counsel really brings out true community. It's a recognition that each of our voices count. That in finding our way forward in the wisdom of what to do, each of our voices is important. And you know, we don't have enough counsel, really. It's all me talking out the front and you thinking about it afterwards or not. But counsel, each of us has a view. And just because I'm skilled at just talking out front doesn't mean that each of our views that we have here, you know, are not completely relevant. You know, we have a common humanity. And each time someone opens up and shares, we all move forward. It creates a space, that, that idea of opening for, for insights, for healing. It's more than just a communication tool. It's a deep practice that allows us to access the intelligence of the group. And we need to do more of that here. We need to hear f- from the intelligence of the group. Because I always said, you know, Ask Michelle, you've all done every course under the sun. I've just ended up here. But you guys, you know, we all know we, the same knowledge is there. And, and that counsel is non-hierarchical. It's deep communication. And, and we need to develop that. And then there's the other way of creating wisdom, you know, which is that other time, solo time in the wild. Which is, you know, we have plenty of wild around us for us to do that here. You know, spending time alone in nature with, with an open heart and an open mind. Maybe holding a question or, or, or letting something come. You know, that develops powerful insights and, you know, enables us to let go of our, our old stories. You know, most indigenous cultures had rites of passage where they went out into the wild and, you know, marks a transition of transformation. You know, here, the eighth grade outdoor ed is a really good example of that. You know, he won't be watching so I can see this. But my son Samuel came back a totally changed person from his outdoor ed experience. I mean, really, completely. He grew a foot, you know, I mean, how long? He lost a stone, and his whole attitude was different. You know, Richard Raw has his men's rites of passage initiation. That's another one. You can, you can go and have those initiations or vision, you know, vision quests and things like that. And, you know, I invite you, you know, to seek them out. It's a, it's a good thing to go and do to find out where you're at. And, you know, most of them ask a number of questions. When you're doing these vision quests in terms of your, your finding out where you're at, they ask, 
Um, I did uh, Richard Rawls writes a passion. I think with Samuel, when he told me about his one, it's very similar. You're asked to ask yourself these questions. You know, number one, who am I? You ask yourself that question. Next, what do I have to give? That's a key question you're asked, you, you ask yourself. Thirdly, how do I heal my wounds and leave behind habits that no longer serve? How do I heal my wounds and leave behind habits that no longer serve? How do I become a more effective agent for positive change? How do I love this world a little bit more every day? You know, what is my true calling? And finally, how do I serve? Back to that question. The development of wisdom to understand how do I serve? We're having, as you saw on that list, we're having a weekend uh, about Thomas Keating. As Cynthia Bourgeau is organizing this, and really, it is a, a way of, of bringing together all the interspiritual people who've been involved with Thomas Keating. Ed Bastian's coming, uh, Rami's coming, various people have been involved with the chapel, just to look at his, his teaching in, in July the 13th and 14th. And he gave seven points uh, you know, that he felt were important in this area of developing wisdom. And he said, you know, and I think these key points are interesting, we'll come back to them another week, I think, but, you know, First of all, that all world religions bear witness to the same ultimate reality. All world religions bear witness. This is, this is where we're at here. All world religions bear witness to the same ultimate reality, whether you call it Brahman or Allah or God or the Great Spirit. We're talking about the same thing. And it's important to have these when we're looking at wisdom. That ultimate reality cannot be limited by any name or concept. The ultimate reality is the ground of infinite potential and actualization. We can't limit it. And, and, you know, these are exciting concepts. that You just can't limit that ground of being. He says also, thirdly, that faith is opening and accepting and responding to that ultimate reality. Faith is opening and accepting and responding to that ultimate reality. In a sense, it, 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 it precedes every belief system, that possibility he says, fourthly, that the potential for human wholeness, or in other frames of reference, enlightenment, salvation, transformation, nirvana, those potential for human wholeness is present in every single human being. And that is an exciting idea when you think you're developing wisdom. And the ultimate reality may not be experienced only through religious practice, but also through nature, art, human relationships, and service to others. And again, that opens up our mind. That as long as human conditions experience are separate from ultimate reality, as long as we think of ourselves as separate, the human condition will be subject to illusion and ignorance, weakness and suffering. That separateness. And finally, that disciplined practice is essential to the spiritual life. Coming back to what Dojin was saying. Yet paradoxically, spiritual attainment is not as a result of one's own efforts but as a result of the experience of oneness with ultimate reality. You know, when you look at developing wisdom, it speaks all of that to a whole that we're part of, and that importance of developing wisdom to participate with that whole. You know, I banged on endlessly what that, you know, when Einstein was asked, what's the most important question you can ask about life when he arrived in, in, in America years ago? It's an apocryphal story. Some people said it never happened. He was asked the question, what's the most important uh, question you can ask of life? 
And Einstein said that the most important question was, is the universe a friendly place or not? Because that, that just decides. If we think it's not friendly, then we have to defend ourselves. But if we, if we think it, if the universe, we can cooperate with it, it transforms the way that we live. But, you know, most of our experience is that the universe is not a friendly place. That's what our experience is in life. You know, when we get the diagnosis or we just say goodbye to, you know, millions of dollars through, you know, some lost investment. You know, we think the universe is not a friendly place. It bashes us about quite a bit. And looking out at the world, we're left with a feeling of exasperation and looking at the trouble that seems to beset everybody. But if we look at that number three of Thomas Keating's, that faith is the opening, the opening to accepting and responding to ultimate reality, and that it precedes, faith precedes every belief system, then I think we can see our way through that dilemma. And really, we have to get, if we're developing wisdom, we have to get through that dilemma. You know, that the life is bashing us, and yet, how, how do we have it all as being one? The universe actually becomes a friendly place when we decide that we're going to open up ourselves to find the wisdom to cooperate with it. That's when it becomes friendly, when we decide to open ourselves up and find the wisdom to cooperate with it. We initiate friendship with the universe. And because of the way that it works, it cannot help but respond. But we have to initiate that. When we develop that wisdom to be able to give without thought of return, in other words, when we enter a state of love, then we're entering the currency of the universe. We're given our lives out of love. All of it happens out of love. And when we consciously enter into that place by giving of ourselves with no thought of return, it responds to us in the same way because it has to. So we've evolved from an expression of love. And by giving back an expression of love, our common currency, we drop the idea of being separate from the universe and respond to it. And it responds to us. Our deep quest for wisdom and our desire to serve in an appropriate way is really, our deep quest for wisdom and our desire to serve in an appropriate way is really our desire to enter into a loving relationship with the universe, which in turn will facilitate mutual cooperation. And that leads us to participating in the evolution of consciousness, which is at the heart of all creation. If we try to create wisdom on our own, it's like reinventing the wheel. That's why we come together like this. Because if we're just all on our own, we're just trying to make it up. We're just trying to reinvent the wheel. But if we come together with, you know, with, 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 with each other and with the wisdom that's gone before us, that we can read by doing our daily practice, by looking at sacred writing, then we learn from those who are contemporaries. We learn together. We dive deeply in. And we come together in that sense of counsel. And those are the ways that we really need to start looking at in terms of developing our wisdom, to be committed to that, to be committed to actually finding ways to allow that to come through. Next week, we're going to look just more deeply, how do we arrive at the truth? How, how do we ar arrive at that, where we can recognize that wisdom and move forward from it? Okay, that's it. So let's pray. Let's, let's talk to ourselves and get ourselves in the right space. We just open ourselves now to that divine wisdom.
the wisdom that's done in community. Our communities represent the greater universe. When we listen to our community, when we listen to ourselves, we're listening to the universe. When we serve our communities, we're serving the universe. Our community is the microcosm of the macrocosm of the universe. So we open ourselves to that. We ask that we might be appropriate to what is required in the universe. We think of people who are suffering at the moment, people that we know in our own lives. That couple with a premature baby in New York that we mentioned last week. People that we know are recovering from illnesses, who have had surgery, who are struggling. We just think of them in our hearts now. And we ask that we might be appropriate in our beingness to cooperate with the universe in their healing, in their comfort, in their lives. We think of all those on the mountains at the moment. We pray that we may be able to, in the way that we cooperate with the universe, bring some love into the world and, and assist in people's safety. We think of those who are in prison, who are homeless and hungry, those in unjust regimes, in war zones, May our lives contribute to them being released. We pray that our wisdom may be relevant and that we may undergo the difficult work that will draw that out of us.